morning, everybody. I'm excited to be able to be the first uh, speaker in person since we did not have chapel last week with all of the snow and the weather. And that means that I get to also uh, not just start out the semester, but I also get to be the first one to talk about in person our theme for this semester and set the stage for uh, what chapel this semester is going to look like together. So as you probably already saw, or if you paid attention last week to uh, Zach's uh, video, our theme this semester is, who cares? And uh, I'm excited about that for, another, uh, for a number of reasons, uh, in part because we can take that a lot of different ways, right? It can be a statement, it can be a response, it can be a question. And I think that it's going to be great to see over the next few months how each of our speakers who are coming in to chapel this week, how they approach that, how they understand that, what they want to do with that phrase. And so today my goal is to give us kind of a foundation to build on for the rest of the semester. And so I want us to take our theme of who cares and think about it as a question. So who cares? Who cares for us? And my response and uh, what we're going to dive in today is, I think the response is that God does. God cares because it's who he is. So who cares? God does. It's who he is. And so today I want to tell you about this God who cares for each of us, who shows in his very nature that he cares for you, and that he wants to bring you into relationship with him. Or maybe you're somebody who already knows that God cares. Maybe you're somebody that's already in relationship with him. Well, I hope that this can help you think about that in a deeper way. So today, I want to tell you about this God who loves each of us by using a theological term from my Theology 1 class. So the last few years, I've taught this class in the fall, and so I have several students that are sitting in uh, the audience today that I could call up and ask them right now to define this term for us. But I'm not. I'm not going to do that because I would actually like more people to actually sign up for it in the fall, and you're not going to do that if you know it might cause you to get pulled up on stage and quiz later, right? Right? Yeah, fair. So I want to tell you about this, about this God who cares using this term, and the term is this, Trinity. Now that might be a term that you've heard before, maybe you've grown up in church, maybe you went to a church that had Trinity in the name. And Trinity is really just a simple, quick way of saying that God the God who we know through the Old Testament and New Testament scripture, the God of Christianity, the God of the universe, is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in fact, if you have grown up sitting in Sunday school or sitting in church, uh, you have maybe heard this explained with a metaphor, like God is like water in its three forms, water, ice, and steam. Or maybe you've heard God compared to a three-leaf clover, that the each leaf is a different person of the Trinity. Or maybe you've heard it explained as an egg, the shell, the white stuff, the yolk. But if you've taken Theology 1, you know why all of these examples fail. And in fact, they are untrue 
And if you want to know why, you have to sign up for Theology One in the fall. Tell your advisor this spring, Theology One. <laughs> okay. Got to gotta, uh, throw something out there that you, you're going to have to follow up with me on. But anyway, I no longer try to use these metaphors and pictures to explain God's tri-unity, God's trinity. Instead, I like to focus on what scripture tells us about who God is. Because that truth about God, God is three persons in one, shows us that at the very center of God, of who God is, is relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are in ongoing relationship from the before creation and into eternity in this ongoing relationship. God is, God is communal. God is relationship. And this communal God is the God who saves, who deserves our worship. It's the God of the universe who wants to be in relationship with you, who wants to draw you into that ongoing relationship. And so when we center our lives around this core truth that God cares for us, that God wants to be in relationship with us by drawing into us into that community, it's a truth that can transform our hearts and our minds and our souls. And we move from knowing about God to knowing God and being in relationship with God. And then we can invite others to be in relationship with him. And that changes lives. It changes our lives and it changes the lives of the people we, we invite into relationship with him. But I don't want you just to take my word for it. I want us to dive into some scripture today. We're going to dive into 1 John chapter 4 uh, to see who this God is who cares about us and how we see in scripture this idea of who God is is and how it's connected to the love of God. So, 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they, 
whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now that was a bit of a long passage to read, uh, but I think that it's one that uh, bears saying out loud, that bears reading in its completeness, because I think it shows us, it shows us how God cares. And I think that we see in this at least three truths about who God is and how uh, he cares for us. And the first is this, God is love. I count at least 20 times that love is mentioned in those few verses. And what's the message over and over again? God is love. That love is not an accessory to God that God can put on and take off like a new sticker that we've got to add to our water bottles or our computers. No, God is love. God's being is love. That's why understanding that God's nature as Father, Son, and Spirit is so essential. It's how God is love. Love requires other, right? Love requires relationship. Love requires self-giving. And God is in this ongoing, forever, perfect relationship. Being in relationship with humans, though, is not some afterthought to God. It isn't something nice that God considers when God has some spare time on his hands. Being in relationship with humanity isn't because God is a nice guy who enjoys being nice to people. The mystery of this God, this God who exists in Trinity, is that God is first and foremost in relationship within God's self. And our opportunity that God uh, gives us to be in relationship with him is inviting us into, into his very nature. It's a reflection of who God is. It's grounded in him. God is relational. God is drawing us into this community. And that's how we can begin to understand what love is. And this passage gives us a very clear definition, right? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He is giving us the example. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. It's saying we know love by looking at God. Love is this pattern of choices, putting others first, that binds us into this relationship with him. And for some of us, our understanding of love is broken relationships here on earth, right? It's understandable that we would say, do I really want to be in relationship with God because my examples, those whom I've loved on earth, have only, have only hurt me? Scripture, in fact, is reminding us that we have to first look to God to know love, that the love that we find here on earth is often a broken love with others. But when we pattern our understanding of God on faulty and failing human relationships, that's not God. That's not who he is. Because the second truth is this, that we can see that God and God's very uh, nature looks to include us in it. That's the second truth. God looks to include us. God cares. We see at least two examples of this in the passage of God offering himself on behalf of us, right? This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him, right? God sending Jesus to come and take our place is this stunning example of sacrificial love. It isn't based on our love of God, but his love for us, 
right? We see that dynamic, God the Father sending his son. And if we look at verse 13, we see another example of God's love. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. How do we know that we're in a relationship? Because he has given us of his spirit. Jesus was not the only gift that God gave. He has also given us the Holy Spirit. Both actions, both Jesus' uh, life, death on the cross, his resurrection, and the gift of the Holy Spirit are gifts that pull us closer into relationship with him. God's community, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, looks to include us. If we don't become loving people to those around us, and we are claiming to be followers of Christ, we're claiming that relationship, are we? And this passage, I think, answers that as well. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Our lives should look different if we're in relationship with God. People around us should be able to see it. But the third truth I think that we also see is one that especially on uh, a college campus where we're all living in close proximity to each other, I think this third truth is one that we see up close and personally, and that is that sin breaks our relationship with God, and it also breaks our relationship with others. So what happens when a friend lies to me? What happens, uh, can I trust that the friend wants to put my needs first? No, the relationship is broken, right? What happens when you gossip about someone else in your friend group? Can that person that you were talking about trust that you want what's best for you? No, that relationship is now broken, right? What happens when you lie to your professor that the dog ate your homework? Separate issue. My friend's goat ate uh, his son's homework. But that's a separate story, and that is not related here. But, right? Sin breaks community. It breaks our relationship with each other. And we often, right, we see that. You guys are living with each other. You're around your teammates all the time. You have seen how people's decision to put themselves first breaks your relationship with them. But there is a remedy to this that we've been promised in 1 John. There is a remedy to this sin. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He has bridged the gap. We can, we have been offered a way to change. We have to accept that, right? That, that sacrifice for our sins, Jesus', Jesus sacrifice for our sins. We have to ask forgiveness of God and sometimes of each other, Right? We have to ask God to shape us into these people that live out his love that others can look at and say they are in relationship with him because of how they live their lives, right? The next verse says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Those of us who are following, uh, following Jesus on this campus should be able to, should be demonstrating that to others. And right after mentioning Christ's sacrifice in this passage in 1 John, he immediately pushes us to that next step, right? It's that love. But how do we do that? How do we do that in the day-to-day, -day, right? 
He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us, right? He has sent the Holy Spirit in order to help us figure out how to do this day to day through this power of the Holy Spirit. Because after all, we don't just have feelings about love. And that's, I think, what we see most clearly here in 1 John. This is not about mushy feelings about love. This is about love that is in action. And we, we see that, too, in 1 Corinthians 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this, this passage preached, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Those are all action words. Those are things we do to demonstrate that we love one another. So what do we do with these truths that we have seen in First uh, John? Well, I want to use some of our time here to think about the kind of people that we are. This is the beginning of a new year. Um, it's the beginning of a new semester. It's the beginning of a new chapel series. And I want us to sit here in this space that can be sacred space for us. And I want us to think about the community that we are all a part of. And as we're thinking, I want us to consider what we individually, what some of the next steps that we might need to take are. Because after all, who cares? God does. It's who he is. And if we believe that, it's going to change some things about what we do. You know, I think that we can really tell the God we worship or the God somebody worships by the kind of person they're being shaped into or by the kind of person we're being shaped into. We become, after all, what we worship. So I ask this question to you this morning. I ask all of us. What are you becoming more and more like? Because whatever that is, that's the God in your life you worship. Are you becoming more apathetic? Do you simply not care? Do you care about anything or anybody? Do you care what people do or don't do or how they treat you or others? What do you care about? Are you becoming more focused on being right about something? Or are you more concerned about being in relationships with others? Do you like to show up and uh, show up others and put them in their place? So then what kind of God are you starting to look more and more like? Are you starting to more look more and more like this one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who wants us to know him and help others know him? Are you becoming more inconsiderate? Are you thinking first about how something affects you and you only? So then what God does that to mean that you are looking more and more like? First John chapter 4 tells us, right, uh, how much God considers us. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Are we becoming 
like God? Are we becoming more considerate, thinking of others? Are we becoming more like the God that we know through the Bible? We're told that love is going to become, is the defining characteristics of followers of Jesus. Uh, that's not just in 1 John, that's in the Gospel of John as well, chapter 13, when Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Is love what is defining us? You know, God's love is focused on others, right? God's love is, foc is focused on this just, right relationships with others, with making things right. In Scripture, this story from the Old Testament to the New Testament is a story of humanity created by God, often in broken relationship with God, and God offering opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for us to mend our relationships with him and with each other. We have this opportunity, right, to enter into relationship uh, with him by his grace. And so I want you to think about your relationship with God. Uh, are you in relationship with this God who cares for you? Have you been in relationship with him a long time? What is it looking like right now at this beginning of 2024? Is it a relationship that is reaching out, that is inviting others to be in relationship with him? Is it a, is it a relationship with him that others can see that looks like a relationship of love? And so if not, if you aren't in relationship with God, what do you need to do to take the next step? Do you need to have a conversation after chapel? Do you need to pull somebody aside that you know is exhibiting this life of love and talk to them? Well, what if you've been in a relationship with, with God a long time? Is your relationship one that others can see, that is uh, demonstrated by love by inviting others into relationship, by apologizing when you're wrong, by uh, doing things that think of others first. Where are we at? What needs to be the next step uh, for this new year? Uh, are you in a relationship with him, with God, but haven't talked to him in a while? Maybe it's time to start. So as we, uh, as we wind down today, I want us to be thinking about about our, the next steps that we need to take as we begin uh, this chapel. So what we're going to do is this. Uh, I want us to end, we're going to have a little time of pause and a little time of prayer where you can listen for what God might be saying to you. And so I'm going to pray to end chapel, and when I'm done, then you are perfectly welcome to stay in here and to use this as sacred space to meet with God. I'll be up here. I can chat with you after chapel. For some of you, you're good. You're ready to move on. You're ready to go do some homework. You're ready to leave. What I'm going to ask is after I'm done praying, that you very quietly, very quietly leave this space so that those who've chosen to remain uh, behind can have this as a quiet, sacred space to listen to God. So I ask you to bow your heads with me right now. Lord, we thank you for new beginnings. 
for new years, new semesters, and new ways that you want to be in relationship with us. We see through scripture that you are a God who cares, who cares for us, who at your very nature is love. We pray right now for uh, this time and this space that it would be a space of meeting with you, that it would be a space of listening to you, and it would be uh, a marker in our lives of taking whatever next step you're asking for us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, I'm asking if you're leaving to leave quietly for those who'd like to stay behind. <laughs>